We're going to tackle the tough questions regarding the Buffalo Bills defense entering the offseason with special guest Bruce Nolan of Buffalo Rumblings today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Monday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. Today on the podcast, we will be joined by Bruce Nolan, who is a fairly regular guest on this show, and hopefully you are familiar with his work both with the Bruce Exclusive Podcast and Food for Thought. And if not, well, then today will be a great opportunity for you to get familiar with Bruce because he is terrific when it comes to Buffalo Bills content creation. And Bruce is here with us today to talk about the Bills defense entering the offseason. Bruce, welcome to the show. Joe, thanks so much for having me, man. It's a it's a party all the time. Just disco balls and dancers. I'm ready to go. Well, I, I'm glad you're ready to go because this defense, man, I'll tell you, there's a lot of opinions out there about this group. And statistically, we're talking about the best defense in the NFL, and it's not particularly close. But as uh, the Bills went through a disappointing finish where the defense kind of let them down and you saw some chinks in the armor maybe against Tampa Bay, there's some stuff to talk about here. And so we'll kind of take a, a position-by-position position group and look at the biggest question in my mind about that position group. And we'll start with the defensive ends. And, and the Bills enter this offseason with Greg Rousseau, A.J. Epinesa, and Boogie Basham under contract. That's it. And, of course, as a avid fan of the Bruce Exclusive Podcast, I was listening to your show a couple weeks ago where you were talking about the most important needs for the Bills entering the season. And I got to tell you, I was pretty surprised that you didn't list defensive end among your top five needs for the Bills. And so I want to start there. I want to know why not. Why is it, is it optimism on your behalf regarding this young trio of ends? Or do you see something else happening here? What's what's your impressions here on this defensive end group? Well, first off, I was not attempting to be hot takey. I'm actually a little bit surprised that I didn't get more pushback from the fact that I didn't put edge on there. I wasn't actually really thinking about it overall, that it was overly hot takey until after I released it. And then the narrative on social media started to kind of magically turn toward ends. And I was like, well, I'm kind of shocked that I haven't been looped into this. I haven't been had the mob show up at my door, beating it down. But really when it boils down to the needs for me, there were three things that I was looking at. And that is a need due to lack of talent, a need due to lack of numbers and a need due to hedging. So on that podcast, I talked a lot about being one pulled hammy away. That's a Bruceism, right? You're one pulled hammy away from something. And I specifically talked about tight end being the fact that you're one pulled hammy away from nothing on that spot at all, like nothing at all. And so when I look at the defensive end group, number one, I had it as my sixth need. So it just missed my top five, but I don't think the bills have a lack of talent there. They certainly don't have a lack of investment there. They don't have a significant lack of numbers there. Right now, you have four people under contract if you count Mike Love. So you do need to make an addition from a number standpoint, but it's not as significant as, say, defensive tackle is. And I would argue not as significant as perhaps tight end is. 
But in addition, when it comes to hedge, what are you hedging against? And what is the probability of that hedge needing to come through for you? So for example, when you say, okay, with tight end, you're one pulled hammy away from basically losing that as a viable receiving option in your offense. That's what you're at. Well, what's the possibility of a pulled hammy? Well, fairly, fairly significant. That stuff happens all the time. Well, what are you hedging against when it comes to defensive ends? What you're hedging against due to the presence of Rousseau, Basham, and Epinesa, you're actually hedging against two of those three players busting out. That's what you're hedging against. Because Rousseau, Rousseau, I would argue right now, is good enough to be a starting defensive end on most teams. We know he has one very, very good trait, not necessarily elite, but one very good trait. And that is, he is a very good edge run defender right now. One of the things we were talking about a lot when Shaq Lawson was a pending free agent for the Buffalo Bills a couple years ago was his value as an edge setting defensive end. Gregory Rousseau is better now at that thing in his rookie year than Shaq Lawson was when it was the calling card that he had. So right now off the top of the bed, you're going, okay, what am I hedging against? I'm hedging against two of those three young ends not panning out. And then I think, okay, what's the probability of that relative to the things I'm hedging against elsewhere? Uh, what am I hedging against with wide receiver, for example? What am I hedging against with tight end? And it felt like the probability of the things that could go wrong trumped the probability of two of the three young ends kind of busting out. And that's the reason why it fell a little bit. I fully recognize the need there. I just felt more strongly about the need at defensive tackle because of massive numbers issues. The need at wide receiver due to that being the strength of the team and losing numbers there. The need at tight end due to the fact that you are any sort of injury away from having almost nothing at the position. And a need at corner for some reasons that we're going to get into later. I'll leave it to Bruce Nolan to have a systematic approach to the reason he came to a conclusion and using that to answer the question, which I certainly understand. I wish there was somebody out there like me that was willing to go to bat for this trio of defensive ends like I did last offseason for Dawson Knox, where there's a lot of panic over Dawson Knox, and I'm sitting here beating the drum saying, folks, uh, he's close. He's really close. He's been working hard. He's got a lot of talent. It's a slow developing position. I think the Bills are going to be fine at tight end, and I really pounded the table for that. And I don't feel like anyone's there right now with this defensive end group. I'm optimistic, but I have a lot of, uh, of hesitation when I think about this being the Bills' top three defensive ends entering the season, given it's a premium position. And it may just be a, a situation here where the Bills have kind of made their bed, right? This is the position that they've set themselves up to be in. This is exactly what they wanted based on the expiring contracts of Addison and Hughes and the investments made to have Russo, Epinesa, and Basham. This had to be the vision for them to take over as the top three ends. I just wish there was a little bit more for us to cling to in terms of what they've actually accomplished entering this season to feel better about them being the top three ends on this roster. It's one of those scenarios where I wrote a piece for Buffalo Rumblings where I said, it's time to sink or swim. And like you said, it's time to kind of lay in the bed that you made. It's really difficult because on one hand you go, well, I kind of wish Boogie Basham and AJ Epinesa would have gotten a little bit more run in 2021. So I could have something to hang my hat on. But on the other hand, 
you're a Super Bowl contending team right now, and Jerry Hughes was still your best pass rusher, even at the final year of his contract and kind of becoming an aging veteran. So you're trying to balance these two things, but at the same time, there's also people out there who don't like the heavy rotation. You're going, well, listen, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have a scenario where you feel good about all three of them, but also you pay, played your best players to try and win in the year you won, but also you played your younger players a little bit stronger rotation. You can't have all these things. So it's one of those scenarios where you're trying to play whack-a-mole with all your different needs and all your competing goals, but when they drafted, when they drafted Rousseau and Basham back-to-back, I put a post on social media. I said, listen, the idea that you could have Mario Addison, Trent Murphy, and Jerry Hughes as your top three defensive ends. And the cost associated with those three versus the cost associated with 2022 with Russo, Basham, and Epinesa, like you said, it has to have been the goal because they knew what kind of contract they were going to give Josh Allen. And they knew that if you have a premium position and you don't have premium money, then you have to have premium capital. And that's what you got out of them. You got a first round pick and two second round picks sitting right there. Well, you know what? Time to sink or swim. And and draft and develop has been this this regime's um, philosophy. And we'll see if it works at defensive end next season. Now, Bruce, you did list defensive tackle as the top need for the Bills entering the offseason. And so I'd like to ask you, what do you like about what exists on the roster? And how would you like to see Brandon Bean attack this position group in the offseason? I like Ed Oliver. That's it. That's 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 what I got. I like Ed Oliver. <laughs> Mostly because he's one of two defensive tackles who's currently under contract. I liked what Harrison Phillips brought at the end of last year. I said non-hyperbolically that I thought that Harrison Phillips at one tech in the back half of last year on a torn PCL gave the Bills some of their best one-tech play that we've seen in years. And I don't think that was overly hyperbolic because I don't think overly it's been a stellar point of strength for the Buffalo Bills, despite the star contract that was given out at $10, you know, $10 million a year for five years and ends up being kind of an albatross contract they can't really get out of because of the restructures now. And so when I think about defensive tackle, what I'd like to see the Buffalo Bills do is don't overcorrect. And what I mean by that is there's a couple things that I don't think are valuable enough based on the roles they play to invest first round picks in them. You know that I've gone on record when it comes to running backs. I don't want to spend a first round pick on a running back, no matter how good he is, because the role they play isn't that important. Two down run stuffing linebackers are on that list. If you cannot pass and help, if you cannot pass the ball or catch the ball or pass block or pass rush or pass cover, you're probably not a first-round pick in my mind. That also applies to run-stuffing defensive tackles. And I love Jordan Davis, and he's going to be really popular, okay? But I can get a, I don't want to say better, I don't want to say equal, a similar player in Travis Jones on day two, right, from Connecticut, and I don't have to invest premium assets. And I know that everyone's going to jump all over Bruce, but the same rules, the same theory, the same philosophy 
that brought me down the road of don't spend a first round pick on a running back and don't spend a first round pick on a run stuffing linebacker is also the same philosophy that brings me down the don't spend a first round pick on a defensive tackle who doesn't offer you significant benefits in the pass game. Now, I openly have admitted that having a defensive tackle who is capable of two gapping effectively can really help answer a question that we're going to talk about later when it comes to Tremaine Edmonds. But I really don't think you have to spend significant capital. One of the things that I said on the podcast most recently was your biggest need doesn't have to be your biggest expenditure. And this is what I was thinking of when I said it. I put defensive tackle as the number one need. That does not mean I want the first round pick to be a defensive tackle. So what I don't want to see the Bills do is overcorrect and say, well, it's the biggest need. Let's spend the biggest assets. I don't want that. But I do want an acknowledgement that you might have to change a little bit up front to be able to get better play from a embattled linebacker when the fan base is not really on board overall with the Tremaine Edmonds situation. One of the things that could help is not asking your middle linebacker to consistently cover for light boxes by two-gapping. And a finding a one-tech defensive tackle who's capable of doing that effectively might require a tweak to a scheme. But you know what? It might be what's necessary at this point. So that's kind of what I would want to see the Bills do at the position moving forward. So throw your personal valuation of the position out the door when it comes to Jordan Davis or a 350-pound run stuffer. What And I went on WGR 550 last Wednesday, and, and I talked about this exact thing, where what can you point to in Sean McDermott's history of running defenses in the NFL that leads you to believe that he's interested in a 350-pound nose tackle? Like, for as much as it may seem interesting to introduce this skill set and have some scheme evolution, there's nothing that I can point to that suggests it's going to happen. The most meaningful investment we've ever seen from Sean McDermott at the one-tech position was when they drafted Star Lotelele in the first round in Carolina, and he was like a 310-pound nose tackle. And then they gave him the five-year, $50 million deal to come over to Buffalo. I mean, that tells you a lot about what he thinks of the one-tech position and what the prototype is. And so for as much as there is a lot of fanfare out there for the Bills to secure a player like Jordan Davis out of Georgia in the first round, who's a 350-pound mountain of a man. I don't think there's anything in the past that I can point to that leads me to believe that's a realistic thing that would actually happen. Feels like a Baltimore Ravens move. Sure. For me. Yeah. Now, obviously, that it's it probably not going to change too much. Everyone thinks it's going to be a, a massive uh, change in defensive philosophy in Baltimore now that Wink's not there. But, you know, people don't forget like that. <laughs> the guy they got was the previous linebackers coach for the Ravens. He's just circling back home again. So I don't think this idea that they're going to be markedly different on defense is probably super accurate, but I agree with you. But when it comes to the bills, it would be a shock because it would be a departure. Now I know that a lot of people are pounding the table for a departure because they're worried about defenses getting stale. And quite frankly, I'm pounding the table for a departure too, just on the back end, not on the front end. All right, let's do it. Let's talk about uh, the linebacker situation here. So, Bruce, how are you feeling about this pair, Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano? Do you think we should be talking about an extension for Edmonds? And then probably most importantly, how do you foil his uneven play with his trajectory as a player and what he means for the unit in terms of what's on his plate 
and leadership because, Bruce, let's face it, there is a chasm between how a large portion of the fan base feels about Tremaine Edmonds and how I think the team feels about Tremaine Edmonds. There is a chasm between those two viewpoints, and I don't know that there's anything that you or I or anyone else is going to say that's going to sway people in, in – in, in liking Tremaine Edmonds, but there is a huge discrepancy in my mind between how the team perceives him and how a lot of the fans do. If Tremaine Edmonds would have been drafted in the third round, we'd all love him. I really believe that because I think that fine looks different on lift different people. So Spencer Brown was objectively not good this year as a right tackle. And I don't know if that's a hot take. I'm, I'm sure I'm probably upsetting somebody, but he was not good overall. Now he has some flashes, that made us believe in him. but And he was a freak athlete, but everyone's thrilled about that. Despite the fact that we have seen a quality of level of play from Spencer Brown that is markedly beneath the quality of level of play that we've seen from Tremaine Edmonds. Now, to be fair, Tremaine Edmonds has been in the league for a lot longer. Now, I will say I don't really buy into the whole he's really young thing a whole lot more because it's years on service, time on task, same off, same defense, same, like, okay, great. That stuff would matter if he had to grow into his body, but he came out of college as a super freak. This is not someone who needed to, you know, grow into his body and physically mature. He was a freak the second he stepped on an NFL field. So the youth thing really doesn't land on me, but what does land on me is the idea that we have seemingly dismissed the idea as a society when it comes to Bills fans and Tremaine Edmonds, that fine is even a thing. Like we, we don't even acknowledge fine as being a thing. It's you're great or you're trash. And that's just it. We cannot live in any world where something is just fine. And I think the reason we can't live in that space is because the Bills traded up in the first round for him. I really believe that. I think that if Tremaine Edmonds would have gotten drafted in the third round, we would all be a lot more comfortable with fine. But when you trade up in the first round for someone, the expectations are so high. And when you have someone who's a freaky athlete, the expectations are so high that anything short of that, it's the same mentality that causes us to believe in things like Super Bowl or bust, which is its own ridiculousness. When it comes to Super Bowl or bust, anything aside from this one game that is predicated on so many different things, anything short of that is disaster. And when it comes to Tremaine Edmonds, anything short of all pro is disaster. So we just can't live in this space where he's fine. We can't do it. And the way I feel about Tremaine Edmonds is he's fine. He's fine. Do I wish we have gotten more from him based on his draft spot and the fact that we trade up for him and based on the immense physical gifts that Tremaine Edmonds has? Sure. Yeah. But I wasn't crazy high on Tremaine Edmonds when he came out. My reaction when they picked him was, all right, yeah, cool. Middle linebacker. I think he'll be better than Preston Brown. I like it. All right, let's do it. In addition, there is a certain aspect of Tremaine Edmonds' game that is very, very difficult to quantify, and that is opportunity cost. And I was pounding the table about this a lot. We often say that the average distance of target against the Buffalo Bills every year being incredibly low is a Micah Hyde stat. We say that. I would like to offer the fact that it's also partially a Tremaine Edmonds stat. The idea that a quarterback does not want to throw it across the middle, down in the middle of the field, the Buffalo Bills in the intermediate and deep part of the field had the lowest passer rating against of any team in football. People don't want to throw it there. 
And I think it has probably something to do with a six foot five freak of an athletic middle linebacker who just happens to be patrolling there. You cannot calculate for what a quarterback didn't do that he otherwise would have preferred to do. Linebacker play is hands down the most misunderstood and difficult to quantify part of football. It is incredibly difficult. It's almost like trying to calculate run blocking. The difference is it's a lot easier to see on film. But with a linebacker, there's all these weird grays and nuances. You don't quite understand how run fits work. We don't understand where landmarks are in coverage. And because it's so gray, we rely on splash plays. And when Tremaine Edmonds doesn't make as many as Darius Leonard, we think he's trash. I'm not saying he's an all-star. I'm saying he's fine. And there's a significant part of what he does that really can't be quantified. Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. And BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds and they even have those Vegas casino games. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action because Bet Online is where the game starts. You know, it's funny you said a lot of the opinions about Tremaine Edmonds are tied to where the Bills picked him. I think 16 overall, they traded up to get him. I honestly believe fairly confidently that if the Bills didn't get Josh Allen, if they weren't able to get that deal done and get up uh, to seven and draft Josh, that there was a line of thinking from the Bills front office that they would draft Tremaine Edmonds at 12 and then with pick 22, get Mason Rudolph to be the quarterback. And so maybe maybe that makes everybody feel a little bit better about uh, what they uh, have here in Tremaine Edmonds <laughs> because it could have been the other way around. I honestly believe that. I love how you answered that question. I'm really satisfied there. I don't want to really probe any further on Tremaine or Matt Milano. I think it's pretty straightforward, and your answer was great. What I do want to ask you about is the depth at linebacker. Uh, Tyler Medikavich, A.J. Klein, both are cut candidates based on you know what could be freed up by, by parting with those two players. And when I look at this depth, I see Andre Smith, and I see uh, Tyrell Dotson, and I see Joe Giles Harris, who are all players that are four-face special teamers that I think have the upside to give the team what A.J. Klein gave when they want to go three linebackers on the field. I mean, Tyrell Dotson's been around for a while. I called him the Ike Bakker of the linebacker position recently. How are you feeling about this depth? Is it is it good enough if the Bills linebacker room entering the 2022 season was Edmonds, Milano, Smith, Giles Harris, and Dotson? Are you good with that? I am. I am good with that. Um, I think that the need at linebacker is fairly low relative to the remainder of the things that I've already talked about when it comes to dealing with talent, dealing with numbers, and dealing with hedge. Because if you let's look at linebackers, okay? Do you have talent there? Yes, I think you have talent there. I think Matt Milano is the best linebacker on this team. I, I had a discussion with someone else who was not happy with that discussion. But I think Matt Milano is the best linebacker on this team. I think Tremaine Evans is fine. I'm completely comfortable with Andre Smith, with Joe Giles Harris, and with 
the I, the Ike Butker, of, the, the linebacker core. I was trying to think of who you just compared him to, the Ike Butker. <laughs> and we've all seen what happens with players like Ryan Bates when suddenly they get thrust into the lineup after a few years of seasoning and maybe it's okay. you know. And so I'm completely fine with that. We have talent there. We have numbers there. And you're hedging against something that you've already seen happen. So you've already had Matt Milano get hurt. You've already had Tremaine Amick get hurt. And we've seen Tyrell Dotson and we've seen Andre Smith have to fill in for them and they were fine. So if you go through the list, talent, fine. Numbers, fine. Hedge, we the thing we're hedging against, we've already seen happen and we were fine. So when it comes to those things, linebacker's really low on my needs list. All right, Bruce, let's talk about your favorite thing in the world, cornerbacks. And I've heard you talk a lot about corners. And I know your desire for a more athletic cornerback, too. I share in that desire. And, you know, with Levi Wallace set to be a free agent and certainly wanting to get paid, I don't think he's going to be a value player moving forward. And this could be the Bills' ideal chance to move on and reload at the position with a more athletic option. And so um, I'm not really interested so much in whether or not you feel like the Bills should re-sign Levi Wallace because I think – the answer there is just based on value. If it's it's a value deal, then you're fine with him as a reasonable CB2. But what I'd like to hear from you right now is explain how a more athletic cornerback two could impact the overall defense. We have sitting on the Buffalo Bills roster right now as Bills content creators, as media, as fans, we have two of the best safeties in football that actually don't get to be as versatile as you'd think they would, because one of them has to cover for Levi Wallace. And that changes things. You, and this is a point that quite frankly, I haven't really heard made, but I'd like to go ahead and throw it out there, right? You could get even better play. You could get even more impact from Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde if you didn't constantly have to cover for a less than stellar athletic cornerback too. I think that there's a possibility that you could get a more varied defense. So certain things are certainly off the table for opposing quarterbacks when they play against the Buffalo Bills. We discussed that deep middle and intermediate middle parts of the field are really not a place that opposing quarterbacks want to throw the ball against the Buffalo Bills. But there's certain things that are kind of off the table when it comes to Leslie Frazier. There are certain coverages you're just not comfortable calling. Because you don't want to isolate Levi Wallace in man coverage as often as you humanly possible against exceptionally fast or exceptionally physical players. And nowadays, with the advent of spread offenses, you're getting those people all over the field. Everybody's either exceptionally fast or exceptionally strong. Those are the two things that people are trying to find in their wide receiver core. And so when you have a physically limited cornerback, too, it hampers and hamstrings your ability to call what you really want to call. Now, obviously the Bills, lots of cover three, lots of quarters, lots of cover two. We know this. But the ability to mix in things, the ability to be potentially even a little bit more risky might end up with those splash plays that you really want to see from Tremaine Edmonds, those splash plays you really want to see from the defense. You get a little bit more of them when you risk it a little bit more. You risk it a little bit more you get a little more biscuit. That's the way it works. And so the ability of the Buffalo Bills to have a great defense without a lot of risk it is good. 
but your ability to consistently perform well against top tier offenses is not about your ability to hold them down. You don't hold them down. That's not something you do. Instead, it's about explosive plays on offense and explosive plays on defense. And if you want to get it more explosive plays on defense, you got to get a little riskier on defense. And if you want to get a little more risky on defense, you need a more athletic quarterback too. This is the time of year where I've usually given up on all of my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I'm actually enjoying eating them. Have you tried Built Puffs? If you haven't, then you're missing out on one of the best-tasting Built Bars out there. Puffs are the first-ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar. They are a treat, and they're covered in 100% real chocolate because all Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, and they're healthy for you. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of of protein, and they have so many great flavors. They've got coconut, raspberry, coconut, almond, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, and new for this month is the white chocolate cookies and cream. They're all delicious, and new flavors are coming out all the time. And at Built Bar, it's all about taste. They make it taste delicious first, then they figure out how to make it healthy, and I don't know how they do it, but they pull it off every single time. Got a deal for you? Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Bruce, I, I did a breakdown on the Bills' cornerback position Thursday last week on the podcast, and I, I spent a lot of time talking about Trey White and his impact on the defense, and, and when he left, the Bills kind of had to change the way they played defense and how they chose to space the field because – I made the argument that Trey White changed the math when it came to coverage spacing because you know you're traditionally going to drop, you're going to rush four, you're going to drop seven, but because of Trey White and what he can do as a man coverage guy and how much you can trust him in zone and just how smart he is in terms of process of elimination and understanding routes and where to be based on alignment and just the initial steps of a of a route. He takes so much off the menu because he's such a good player and he changes the math. And now you can change, you can space the field differently with your other six defenders in coverage. I think by having a more athletic cornerback too, you kind of double down on that. And like you said, you have more options for what you can do with Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. And so I would love to see this happen. But there's a part of me that kind of like what I said with the nose tackle thing. What can we point to when it comes to Leslie Frazier, Sean McDermott, how they've called defenses in the past that would suggest that they would actually run more man coverage and and do different things on the back end if they had the skill sets necessary to do it? Do you have confidence that they would do that? There are two things that I look at as possibilities when it comes to this. The first is what Sean McDermott is always preaching, and that's growth mindset. I think that when you go up against elite offenses and you get, you know, you get reasonably poor results against elite offenses, Sean McDermott has to notice this. We cannot be the only people who notice this. And he has to think, okay, it's time to evolve. It's time to get better. We've seen Sean McDermott evolve. And so you hope that the next thing is, okay, 
We need to do things a little bit different. Maybe we don't just throw out everything we know and everything we do, but maybe a little tweak is necessary. But when it boils down to Leslie Frazier, it's about something that I talked a lot about when it came to Josh Allen, and that's isolating the variable. I want to isolate the variable because right now there is a completely logical and reasonable argument as to why Leslie Frazier doesn't run a lot of man coverage. And that's because he doesn't have a super athletic CB2. If he has a super athletic CB2 and then he decides not to run it, then it's a Leslie Frazier issue. Right now, you can meaningfully say it might be a horses issue. You don't have the horses. But if you have the horses, then it becomes a Leslie Frazier issue. So for me, it's about isolating the variable with Leslie Frazier the same way we isolate it with Josh Allen. You didn't want to have a developing quarterback around a bunch of other developing players. So you brought in vet wide receivers. It's the same concept here. I want to know once and for all if it's Leslie Frazier or if it's the horses. And the only way you can figure that out is if you go get the horses. Bruce, I want to transition now to Micah Hyden, Jordan Poyer in the safety room. And I want to come in because this they're such straightforward players, right? Like I did the safety review Friday last week, the performance review and talking about Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde and what they bring and what they're going to do is so easy because they are the, the ultimate pros. I mean, they play at such a high level. They play so well together. There's no guessing. We know exactly what these players are. So the question with this safety tandem is how long and they're both entering their age 31 season. And I want to say this before we go anything any further on this, because this is something that has been on my mind a ton. Because the Minnesota Vikings paid Harrison Smith, a, their, you know, their star safety, who I would argue Poyer and Hyde are every good, every bit as good as. Entering his age 33 season, they gave him a four-year, $64 million deal. And so obviously there's some level of expectation that Harrison Smith can continue to be a great football player for them because he signed through age 36. And so we're talking about Poyer and Hyde entering their age 31 season. And so what is your thoughts on this? I mean, how much longer do you think they can continue to perform at a high level? Do you have any recommendations on what the Bills should try to do here moving forward to plan for their replacements? Or is that so far down the line that you think it's it's premature because I think the safety position is pretty straightforward. It's Hyde, it's Poyer, it's Jaquan Johnson, it's Tamar Hamlin, it's Josh Thomas on the practice squad, and you're good to go here. How much long? I mean, is this even, are we ready for this conversation or is that further in the distance in, in your mind? This discussion is in the same zip code for me that the linebacker discussion is in. It's a little bit more of a need because we haven't seen as much of Damar Hamlin and Jaquan Johnson in regular season. And I don't feel super comfortable with Jaquan Johnson's athleticism and functional athleticism in you know split zone coverages, especially not in single high. Oh, goodness gracious. Do not give me Jaquan Johnson in single high, please. But I feel a little bit less comfortable about this than I do about linebacker, but it's still markedly farther down the list of needs for me because of the things that make Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer special. Michael Hyde and Jordan Poyer are not special because they have elite physical traits. They're special because they have elite mental traits. And one of the reasons why you see cornerbacks get moved to safety is because they think, well, if you're, if you're from the neck up, you're elite. 
but your legs just aren't quite what they used to be. But you have an understanding of spacing. You understand route concepts. You can see what happens in front of you. The thing doesn't quite, the game doesn't quite happen as fast if you're far enough back from the line of scrimmage. These kind of things are what make Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer special. Micah Hyde's understanding of angles and spacing is what makes him a disaster to throw the ball against. Micah Hyde, when he caught that ridiculous interception against Mac Jones in the, in the, uh, the playoffs against the Patriots, I don't think Micah Hyde's closing speed was really what's discussed there. Micah Hyde's understanding of angles and when to break on that ball and how to get there in as few of steps as humanly possible while not wasting essentially any motion, that is what's special to me. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, he came out of nowhere. Now, Mac Jones might think he came out of nowhere, but Micah Hyde was on that. And so for me, when it comes to Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, the things making them special are the things that make me comfortable with them playing reasonably well into the mid-30s. Now, if they're 34 and we're looking at signing them to a four-year ridiculous deal, then okay, let's talk a little differently. But as far as their contract status, where they're at, I feel a little bit worse about this than I do about linebackers, but it's in the same zip code. I'm completely comfortable running it back. Let's close on this, Bruce. And I feel like we probably got into some of the big ideas already, but how do you want to see this defensive coaching staff evolve? I mean, statistically, like I said at the beginning, the Bills defense in the as far as ranks was was number one by a wide, wide, wide margin. Yet there's a lot of dissatisfaction from fans because of how the defense fared against the best offenses on the schedule, and that this Bills this dominant Bills defense didn't show up against Tampa Bay and they didn't show up the second time against Kansas City. Is it is it uh, just as simple as this is a defense that's going to dominate average to bad offenses, but the top offenses aren't impacted? How does this group evolve to make sure that, hey, when the, the best offenses are on the schedule, that they can you know, not necessarily have so much of a drop-off where it felt like, Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, in, in at least in that second Chiefs game, they were able to move the ball and score a ton of points against this unit. I think it's important to start off with the fact that you don't dominate good offenses. That's not how this works. Um, you might have a game where a good offense lays an egg, and that's fine. But if you think you're going to build a defense that will consistently dominate top offenses, that's not the way NFL football works anymore. And so this idea that we are going to play as well as a Bills defense against the Chiefs as we did against Mike White and the New York Jets, that's not going to happen. But if you'd like to impact them more, you have to be more comfortable with a little bit of an identity departure. And I talked about it a little bit before, but the Bills defense is predicated on playing a few different coverage concepts and playing them extremely well and being extremely disciplined and being extremely annoying with how disciplined they are. And that works really well against teams that aren't as talented as you. But if you show a bunch of things on defense to a team long enough over and over again, and they have dominant players, they're going to beat you. And the Bills have maybe reached a point where they need to be a little bit more comfortable maybe being a little bit more variable when it comes to defense. And you need the horses to do that. 
The reason why I've been pounding the table for CB2 is I want to unlock the ability, the option. I want the option of being able to do more things on defense and not be so rigid with the concept, no, these are the five coverages we run. This is what we do. And that's great as long as you don't have Tyreek Hill playing against you. That's just the way it is. Offenses are built around people who destroy your advantages, who break your scheme. All the NFL is focused on finding dynamic athletes who break your scheme. And the way you need to get around doing that is not have such a rigid devotion, almost a dogma to the same five or six coverages over and over again, because you can get away with that. You can just play those things at a high enough level that people who don't have great game-breaking offensive talents can't get around you. And that's the way it was against the Jets. And that's the way it is against lower echelon when it comes to offensive ability and talent. But that's not going to cut it against Patrick Mahomes. It's not going to cut it against Tyreek Hill. Thankfully, Tom Brady decided to retire. We don't have to worry about whether or not it's going to cut it against Tom Brady. But if you want to have stuff in the bag for these elite offenses that can generate explosive negative plays, that's what I want. I want sacks and turnovers as much as possible against explosive offenses because you need explosive defensive plays. Well, to do that, you have to show them something that maybe they haven't seen before. And maybe that means stepping outside your comfort zone. And if you want to step outside your comfort zone, you need athletes who can do it. I maintain that I want to see that Bucks game and that second Chiefs game with Trey White in the lineup because the Bills defense did really well against the Chiefs in week six. And what's different? Well, Trey White wasn't in the lineup and your your best player on defense wasn't available to help you. And so I think that may have changed um, some of those results. But yeah, I think you make a good point there that and I get this, dude, I get this question every single year whenever the Bills face the Chiefs. They say, how are, how are the Bills going to stop Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey? I'm like, if I had that answer, I'd be a defensive coordinator in the NFL. Nobody's <laughs> stopping these guys. You know, like, why, why is that my job to answer that question? These are the, some of the best playmakers of our time, you know? And so I, I think we have, to, we have to find some comfort kind of even dating back to something you said earlier in the podcast. We have to understand that everything's not dominant and perfect every single time. Um, but man, I have a hard time being so dismissive of how good this Bills defense was all season long. And I don't think that they need sweeping changes. I think there's some tweaks and obviously they're going to have to reload with some personnel in a few different spots based on who, who leaves. But I, the, the defense in general is just not something that I feel any urgency to panic over. I mean, Brandon Bean has, has proven that he can develop a, a Super Bowl championship caliber depth chart. We, we've seen this coaching staff able to develop talent at multiple positions, and they've earned a lot of my trust. And, and I am anxious to see how things evolve, because if there is an opportunity to do it, I think it's here, both at interior defensive line and at cornerback. So a... Uh, a complicated discussion for a really, really good defense, I guess, is probably the best way to sum it up. Absolutely. And how do you how do you take a really, really good defense and tweak it to be more effective in certain areas without losing effectiveness elsewhere? It's very strange. It's a little like it's like playing whack-a-ball, right? Just pops up here and there, and you're you're trying to make sure that you you hit everything you need to hit. And so 
it's one of the reasons why I wasn't on board with the fire Leslie Frazier bandwagon. I, it's too extreme. It's too extreme of a discussion for me. Do I want to see them draft an athletic CB2? Yes. Do I want to see a tweak to the scheme? Yes, I do. Do I'd like to see a, a, a one tech who can two gaps so you don't have to ask a linebacker to do it in light boxes? Yes. Do I want to see a more variation of coverage? Yes. But all that stuff is tweaks. None of that stuff is wholesale, burn it to the ground. And I don't know why you'd burn a defense this good to the ground because there's going to be games hate to break it to people. There's going to be games against inferior offenses where your offense isn't going to show up that well. And when that happens, the defense needs to show up and the defense needs to carry things. And that happens a game or two that happens three or four games, even with the best offense in football, you still have games where they just didn't quite come out. It just didn't bounce their way today. And when that happens, you need the defense to be able to step up. So I have no interest in burning this thing to the ground. I do think that there's an opportunity for evolution here. Hey, Leslie Frazier, thanks for uh, uh, coaching the a top three defense in three of the last four seasons, uh, but you're fired. <laughs> what? Yeah, it, 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 would be, it would be the front story on every single national media publication. What are the Bills doing? But, you know, we're fans, so we know better, so it's fine. <sighs> My goodness, Bruce, thank you so much for a fantastic conversation here on the podcast. And folks, if you're not keeping up with Bruce, make sure that you are. You can follow him on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive, as well as Instagram. And, and of course, the Bruce Exclusive podcast every Thursday on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast feed. And then Food for Thought with Nate Geary. That's on Friday nights on the YouTube channel. And then it is a podcast on Saturdays. I think I got that right, Bruce, right? You did. Yeah. Don't miss it. It's, it's good stuff. It's good content. I always consume both of those shows every week and I encourage you to do the same. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Tomorrow, the plan is herd mentality and I've already got everything lined up for that and I'm looking forward to it. Should be a great conversation. So don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed. Would love it if you took a second to rate, review and share the podcast. Have a great rest of your day, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.